Not since the introduction of GDPR or the General Data Protection Regulation have we seen a resurgence in discussion around the protection of personal privacy in light of the growing calls against indiscriminate use and possibly abuse of customer data. But just how do you deliver a tailor or tailor a solution to a customer of one without violating the rights of the customer to his or her privacy? And at the same time, how do you create a marketing program that adheres to privacy regulations, but is sufficiently economical for the business to create a sustained campaign? In today's podcast for Future CIO, we speak to David Black, founder and CEO of Black Box Research, on the economics of building a sustainable customer engagement strategy that adheres to the rights to privacy and the protection of a customer's data. David, welcome to Podchats for Future CIO. Hi there, Alan. Thanks for having me. Now, please describe privacy in the context of information security, data protection, and the private sphere. How are these connected, if at all? Well, I think the first thing to re- remember is that privacy is a kind of a, a universal tenet for people. It doesn't matter what country you're from. The, the idea of us having privacy in our lives is not something new. It's not something that sort of came about in the last hundred years. It is something that has been there for a long time. And so the first thing you have to do is look at privacy in the context of the age of technology and what that sort of meant. I think in the business context, my business is always talking to people about the issues of the day, things that are concerning people. But at the same time, we're talking to other types of stakeholders in industry, in government, amongst regulators, etc. So what I tend to think is looking at privacy in the context of, you know, whether it's information, whether it's laws and regulations surrounding data protection, you need to remember that I think First and foremost, I find certainly in the work I do with what I would call the technology gatekeepers, those people who really understand technology, understand its capabilities, understand its power, they're often the most prudent and the most probably protective of a lot of consumer interests. And I think that may surprise some people. But you need to understand that those people work in the context of large businesses a lot of the time. And so what I tend to find is there's an awful lot of trade-offs happening both in terms of the commercial requirements, uh, the competitive requirements, and then that's against the backdrop of what the legal and regulatory requirements are. I think what we've come to see, though, a lot in the last decade is the kind of consumer going to the background, this idea that somehow consumers have already done a deal with the devil and have sort of traded off their privacy in return for free services or better services or more information and whatever else. And I think our research, and you can probably see research from elsewhere in the world, suggests that's not quite true, that uh, certainly in the work I've done recently globally through a white paper we've just put out, we can see that privacy is indeed first and foremost a really important for consumers online. So, you know, in answering your question, these things are very, very much connected and they really go to the heart, I think, of what businesses are doing to Today and just about how all businesses are operating. Now, you mentioned that the right to privacy is universal, regardless of which country or region we are in. But are there any differences in how these are interpreted and protected in Asia relative to other markets? Most definitely. And I think what you need to look at is that in the context of technology, I think this idea of privacy in historical terms is still quite new. Really only 10 or 15 years into this whole idea of how you regulate, how you monitor, how you 
protect people's kind of dignity and rights, etc., whatever you want to call them. Here in Asia, I think, in the context of that, because it's so new, I think regulators and legislators here have generally been sort of adopting what they think is best practice, meaning whatever's going on globally, you mentioned at the very start, sort of GDPR, we've now got other legislation around the world. More recently, I think you've seen the the California Privacy yeah. Act coming, which is quite different. I think what regulators are doing here is really not doing anything particularly unique or different. They're trying to follow these kind of best practices to fall in line. And I think the mistake they're possibly making, because the region is so big, they're not looking at it in the context of, firstly, their own cultures, and secondly, they're not necessarily looking at it in the context of their own consumers. So, for example, when we look at what's going on in, say, emerging markets, Privacy is sometimes looked at very differently because you need to remember that social media and the internet has become a great means of social mobility for a lot of people. And so the context of privacy in some of those countries can be quite different than it is in, say, sort of developed countries. And I guess if I have a criticism of regulators or legislators in this part of the world, it's really that as they evolve, they need to kind of look at their own cultures and, and what works for them and not just fall in line or necessarily follow everything that's something being done in, in Europe or California or wherever else. So at this point in time, you know, I don't see a great deal of uniqueness. There are some exceptions. Maybe you could call Japan. You know, Japan's always been very big on privacy, so they've got a fairly strong regulatory culture. But by and large, I think the region is just really follow the leader, whatever's going on in the rest of the world. What are the challenges that businesses must overcome to achieve a sort of balance between privacy and innovation and economics? Why we're all in years to make money, isn't it? Of course. And I think that's the question of the day, isn't it? Up to now, a lot of these business models online have been built around the utility and the value of data, convincing consumers that they can get all these free things or, or cheaper things, as I said. But, you know, in return, we're going to utilize your data in some way. And consumers know that. We found that across the world, more than three quarters of consumers absolutely understand that, whether they agree with it or not. It's a completely different question. Now, in the context of innovation, innovation is a moving feast. And so what I think you found in the last 10 years are different ways to scalp that sort of data, how to utilize it, whether it's for advertising, promotions, all the other things that kind of like pop up on our screens, that's the, that innovation's really gone into that. I think what we've probably now starting to see, and this is really very new, Alan, you know, in the last six months, is privacy has now come into the competitive space, the commercial space. And I think you only have to see see, you know, say Apple's announcements this week, it's doubled down on privacy. And that's not just because Apple are good guys or because they're anti-Facebook. Apple, I think, have acknowledged and recognised that this can be a really big competitive strength and that they get in on that, they can differentiate. And so I think what you're going to see in terms of innovation moving forwards is many businesses will make a decision to sort of say, well, privacy could be a selling point for us and we'll look at it in different ways and we'll make different promises to consumers. So in the context of innovation, I think innovation is always happening. And I think it's just finally that privacy's come into the commercial space and it's now going to be possibly a, com a competitive or a commercial offer moving forwards, not for all businesses, but certainly for many businesses, uh, particularly in light of what Apple is trying to do at the moment. You conducted the research recently. What stood out in that research? 
A couple of things. Uh, first and foremost, I think, you know, people understand that their privacy is not a given online. You know, 75% of people around the world. This is work we did across 20 countries, across all regions. You know, three in four people are sort of saying, well, we, we know that businesses are using our data. Then when we start to probe what the level of comfort is, it then starts to differentiate. So we looked at different types of privacy in the context of data. So we looked at personal data. We looked at attitudinal data. And last but not least, we looked at behavioural data. And so your audience will understand what those things are. So firstly, I think we found that there were quite big differences between countries just across those three categories alone. But at the broadest level, I think what we did find is that in certain countries, particularly developed countries, you're now seeing privacy become a much bigger issue for a lot of consumers. And they're for different reasons. You know, I mean, you can look at the United States or Brazil and you can see the impact of the political environment. You can go to other places like Europe where they've always had a much more proactive approach to, to privacy. You can look at countries like Japan, whereby privacy has always been an issue. And even here in Singapore, because we've had so much debate over fake news and parliamentary inquiries, privacy is actually a much bigger issue here in Singapore than it is in the rest of Southeast Asia. The second thing I would say is that, I, and I mentioned this or alluded to this a little earlier, it is quite different between developed and emerging markets. So in the context of privacy, it's not that people in emerging markets don't want their privacy, but in terms of trade-offs, they seem a lot more willing to trade off things because it gives them access. As I said, that social mobility that many people are offered through a mobile phone or a, a tablet or something like that, the opportunity to start a small business or a side hustle, one of those sorts of things. You know, privacy sometimes is a secondary concern because their economic welfare and taking care of their families are making extra income is more important. So in that context, it was interesting to see some of those differences around the world. But by and large, what the study really brought to the surface was that privacy is not something that people are prepared necessarily to give up. The more it's been brought to the forefront, certainly in the last six months in different countries, I think consumers are starting to get their heads around that even more. One last thing I would say is there is a generational difference as well. So we looked at those Generation Zs, for example, those people who are under 20. I don't think privacy has necessarily really come into their worlds because they've sort of grown up sharing everything, even quite different to millennials. And for them, again, privacy is looked at in a different context. So for regulators, I think that's important as well. You've got to be careful what you wish for. I think, you know, if regulators overstep the mark in some of these areas, you're certainly going to get a whole generation of people scratching their heads and possibly doing more if the services they're acquiring or utilizing online are going to become more expensive. Now, observers say that COVID accelerated or is accelerating digital-led innovation. How yeah. should enterprises push the boundaries of customer engagement and innovation without overstepping involving regulations that protect privacy? Well, look, COVID's been an, an enormous accelerant I think, for everything online. And it's not just in terms of most of us are spending half our lives or three quarters of our lives, it seems, online. It's also a lot more people came on and were performing or doing things that they'd never done before. People who'd barely texted are now on Zoom calls every day. Grandparents have been brought into the fold. So you need to remember there's a whole vast array of people around the world who've been brought into contact with this world that they'd never really necessarily sort of experienced uh, before. In different 
different places we've seen different reactions. So for example, here in Southeast Asia, one thing we recorded, for example, with e-commerce, what it turned out was even though e-commerce, the business was absolutely booming last year, the metrics that we recorded for e-commerce businesses were terrible. There was a huge consumer backlash because a lot of people came online and were quickly realized that what companies say and what they actually deliver, there was a real mismatch there. You know, not everybody in the world has the experience of Amazon. So a lot of e-commerce players have been forced in recent months to really re-look at the business and the the experiential part of what they're offering to consumers and really sort of uh, switch that around. Coming back to your sort of central point, which is the corporate perspective and how businesses are going to sort of emerge out of this, I think some companies, like I said before, are kind of happy to go along with what I would call the minimal compliance route. You know, we do what we have to do. You know, there's always going to be online noise and complain, but ultimately the consumers come back to you, you know, so we don't worry too much. But then I think what we're starting to see in terms of, again, on innovation at the other end, I think we are starting to see businesses now realising that COVID has been a game changer and they are looking at, well, maybe they're not looking at Apple, but they're certainly looking at privacy, consumer protections, being able to reinforce values, whatever you want to call it to their customers. There's some merit in that. There's some commercial merit in that, not a moral merit, but a, a commercial merit. And so I think increasingly you're starting to see, at least here in Asia, some businesses tiptoe into that space. But I think over the next 12 to 18 months, you're going to see that become much more obvious in this part of the world as more and more businesses come into the space and a lot more try to differentiate. So my view is that I think privacy's you know, transformed from one of those things that pointy-head people like me talk about in the context of regulation and citizen rights and whatever else to a real commercial proposition. That's where I think privacy's going. It's now on the commercial map and the competitive map. What is your advice to businesses pursuing the need to engage while observing privacy expectations? I think my first piece of advice is don't look backwards, look forwards. You know, the world is not static. And so I think you're going to have to just come come to the party and recognize that privacy is now just not just one of those things that is background noise. It's a real thing. A lot of your customers are going to be exposed and being delivered services and products in the digital environment where they're given choices with respect to privacy, more information. You only have to look at the Consumer Privacy Act that's come into place in California. Now, I don't know whether that will catch on, but certainly, you know, consumers have been given an opportunity in that jurisdiction to ask a lot more questions. And I think what often starts in California often radiates out to the rest of the world. So I think businesses have to acknowledge that. The comparison for me is something like climate change or sustainability. You've seen certainly in the last five years, businesses have had to respond to that, not just through efforts at a board level or compliance with market standards. They're having to respond and react to consumers now in a really big way. You know, they're having to put their stick in the sand and say, this is what our company is doing. This is what our company stands for. So I think a lot of businesses are going to have to really start to look at privacy in that context, or they will lose customers to competitors who may be able to do that. The second thing I though would say is it is imperative. And again, this is me defending businesses, I think, which is businesses need to work closer with their local regulators and put across what their knowledge 
knowledge and their understanding of what consumers in that market are really looking for and what's different about that. A lot of the time, I think businesses come to the table with regulators and legislators and just take on board that they are accepting standards from elsewhere and, and, and whatever. And I think it's much more important that businesses come into the conversation with those making the laws, making the regulation, armed with the knowledge they've got about that market and regulation and, and laws, and, and etc., need to be crafted in the context of those particular countries. I'm not a great one for having one universal standard around the world. I don't think that works. But at the same time, I'm also uh, critical of businesses for not standing up for themselves more and really trying to bring in the context because they're the ones armed with the knowledge and the understanding of their own marketplaces. And they need to be able to communicate and, and put that across to regulators here in Asia a lot better. We're not going to get innovation in this part of the world until businesses start to stand on their own two feet and really have a dialogue and a conversation which is based on their reality, not the reality somewhere else in the world. David, thank you for joining me on Podchats for Future CIO. Great. Thanks for having me, Alan. That was David Black, founder and CEO of Black Box Research on the economics of building a sustainable customer engagement strategy that adheres to the rights to privacy and the protection of customers' data. You are listening into Podchats for Future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up to our free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podchats for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CIO. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.